Hi, welcome to my Parsha Shir. Thank you to Aaron and Lillian Fuchs and Jason Fuchs for sponsoring this Parsha Shir in memory of Aaron's father and Jason's grandfather, Heinrich Fuchs. Chaim Shol ben Yitzchok, Zichrone Levrocha, whose yard site is on the 12th of Tammuz. The Shir today is devoted to Parshas Chukas and in particular to the attribution of the noun Choik to the mitzvah of Pora Aduma. The word choik is the root of the word chukas, which is used to describe the mitzvah of Paraduma. But what does the word choik actually mean? Because before we examine what the word choik has to do with Paraduma, first we need to understand exactly what the word choik means. The English translation we usually use for the Hebrew word choik is statute. I'm going to be frank with you, it's not a good translation. The English word statute refers to a formal written law that is put onto the law books by a legislative body, such as a national or state parliament. Statutes are the foundational binding rules established by a jurisdiction's lawmaking authority, and they are broadly speaking unchallengeable. But while it might be very hard to do and very time-consuming, statutes can be repealed and replaced or or made obsolete. They are meant to be set in stone, but it's not always the case. Another thing about statutes, at least in the English sense of the word, is that they can cover a wide range of legal matters, including, for example, criminal offences, civil regulations, administrative procedures, taxation, and many more. About repealing statutes, I'll give you a famous example of a statute that was repealed. The 18th Amendment of the United States Constitution, which is usually referred to as prohibition, was passed in 1919 and it prohibited the manufacturing, sale and transportation of alcoholic beverages. But after the amendment proved to be ineffective and led to a variety of very serious societal and social and economic issues, it was repealed by the 21st Amendment in 1933, which ended the era of prohibition and restored the legal sale and consumption of alcohol. And just to be clear, everyone understood that the idea behind prohibition, namely that alcohol was causing tremendous societal problems, it it was a good thing. And everyone also understood why it was repealed, because the downside was too heavy, crime, violence, and even worse, societal problems. Which brings me to this important point. A choik, in the Torah sense, can never be repealed. It is a Torah law, and a Torah law cannot be repealed. And secondly, and this is the key point to consider, a choik is a law that defies human comprehension. In other words, While we can understand the workings of the Choyk law, in in other words, what it is that we need to do, or what it is that we are prohibited from doing, we cannot definitively say why God wants us to keep these laws. By which I mean, we can understand why God doesn't want us to murder or steal. These laws make sense, and indeed, variations of these laws are universal across human civilization and have been universal across human civilization throughout human history but keeping kosher not wearing shatnas not becoming tome ritually impure these chukim defy logic and as i said they cannot be repealed even though we don't understand them 
which means that a choik is not a statute. A choik is a law that no human society or legislative authority would have come up with. And people would have said when they came up with it, aha, that makes sense, because at their core, chukim don't make any sense. There is a very unique entry in the Sefer Chinuch regarding Pora Aduma, and I want to share it with you. Pora Aduma is the first mitzvah in Chukas, and it is cited as the prime example of a chayk. Zois Chukas HaTorah, which means this is the chayk of the Torah. If a person becomes ritually impure, Tommy, as a result of coming into contact with a human corpse, they must go through a ritual cleansing process that includes being sprinkled with water that has had the ashes of a dead, pure red calf mixed into it. There are many aspects of this mitzvah that make no sense, not least of which is the, f- the fact that the priest who sprinkles the water becomes Tomei, even though the water purifies the Tomei person he's sprinkling and makes them Toher. It, it is totally confounding. But besides for this technical detail, in and of itself, the mitzvah of Paraduma is just so strange. Why and how does this ritual process work? Why would God prescribe this strange ritual as the exit ramp for someone who has become contaminated by contact with a dead body. It's just weird. Ordinarily, we would turn to the Sefer Chinuch for an answer, and in a moment I'll tell you why. But first let me tell you about Sefer Chinuch. Sefer Chinuch is a unique rabbinic work within what is a very unique genre of rabbinic works. That genre is known as Sifrei HaMitzvot. Let me tell you what the Sifrei HaMitzvot are. The Gemara Makas Davchof Gimel and Davchof Dalad records a drasha of Rabbi Simloi, who identifies the number of mitzvahs in the Torah as being 613, 248 positive commandments, mitzvahs assay, corresponding to the number of avarim, limbs or possibly bones, in the human body, and 365 negative commandments, mitzvahs loisasei, corresponding to the number of days in the solar year. By the way, there are not actually 248 independent limbs or bones in the human body. There are 206 bones, and if you add 32 teeth, that makes it 238. 38, not 248. So I'm not sure what the 248 number refers to, but it is associated with avarim, uh, now, if you have an explanation, let me know. Be in touch. Anyway, to get back to our discussion. Starting in the time of the Goinim and then during the era of the Rishonim, so for roughly six or seven centuries, a genre of rabbinic works appeared in which the authors attempted to identify all of the 613 mitzvahs. The purpose of these Sifreha mitzvahs was to create clarity regarding which mitzvahs have the extra gravity of being a Torah law as opposed to rabbinic laws which are of a lesser status. You've probably heard of all the Sifrei HaMitzvahs, but I'm going to list them for you. I think it's a fascinating list and it is a background that hovers behind every discussion about mitzvahs and obligations of the Jewish faith. So it's important to know who the principal players were. The first one on the Sifra Mitzvahs list is the Halochus Gedolus, written by the Bahag, which is an acronym for Baal Halochus Gedolus. We think 
that the Baha'i wrote his list in the 8th century, probably in Babylonia, but we don't know definitively who he was. Many believe he was Rav Shimon Kaira, while others suggest he was Rav Yehudai Goen. The Baha'i's list of mitzvahs essentially serves as a foundation to his halachic work, much like the Rambam's Seva mitzvah serves as a foundation to his Mishnah Torah. The Bahag lists each mitzvah by name, citing the verse they originated from verbatim. But despite the incredible originality of the Bahag's list of mitzvahs, truthfully, there are lots of problems with his work. For one, the absence of obvious punctuation can make it challenging to discern where one mitzvah ends and where the next one begins. Also, the Bahag doesn't catalogue the mitzvahs numerically, resulting in varying interpretations and attempts to classify his list into 613 mitzvahs. And here's another weird anomaly. The Bahag incorporated Durabonon's rabbinic laws into his list of his mitzvahs, categorizing the mitzvahs into seven groups as opposed to the commonly recognized division of two groups, assays and lois assays, as I've already mentioned. The Bahag's unique arrangement includes, for example, 71 oinshim, 277 prohibitions for individuals, 200 directives for individuals, and 65 parashios. This last category is actually a mix of 48 positive mitzvahs and 70 negative mitzvahs, all of them mandatory for the Jewish people as a whole, as opposed to individual Jews. After the Bahag composed his list, there were a bunch of rabbinic giants who put together lists of mitzvahs of their own, known as the Azhoros, which means that the list is presented to the reader as a poem. The most famous of these was Rav Sadia Gon, who lived in the 10th century. He was already the Rosh Hashiva of Surah at the young age of 36, and his works include a translation of the Torah into Arabic, and of course, Amunas Vedes, his major philosophical work that was originally written in Arabic and later on was translated into Hebrew. Rabbeinu Sadia's, actually, he authored two piyutim, lists of mitzvahs as poems. One follows the division of mitzvahs as proposed by the Bahag, although Rabbeinu Sadia's mitzvahs, as we know them, appear in a different order. The other list of Rabbeinu Sadia organizes the mitzvahs according to the Ten Commandments as headings. Interestingly, this list of mitzvahs leaves out several that the other Sifri HaMitzvahs did include. And there are many mitzvahs that Rabbeinu Sadia notably leaves out, including Kiddush Hashem and Ahava Hashem. In other words, Vahavta Es Hashem is not a mitzvah, at least according to Rabbeinu Sadia. I just want to mention a remarkable rabbinic luminary who wrote the definitive commentary on Rabbeinu Sadia's list of mitzvahs. His name was Rabbi Yeruchim Fischl Perla, who was a Poli Polish rabbinic scholar who lived most of his life in Warsaw, although he spent the last eight years of his life in Jerusalem. Born in 1846, he studied under Rabbi Yeshua Leib Diskin, the Natsiv, Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik. Rav Perla married into a wealthy family, and his wife ran a very successful store in Warsaw, which fortunately allowed her husband to study and write in every waking moment, which he did. Rav Perla famously lived next door to a shul, which meant that he could hear the chazan, 
from his study window. The result of this was that he never left his home for years because he didn't want to be distracted even for a second from his learning and his writing. And when it came time for davening, he stood next to his window and davened along with the chazan that way so that he would be davening with a minion. Rav Perla's work on Rabbeinu Sadia is one of the most amazing works ever produced on Sifrei HaMitzvahs, in particular the lengthy and comprehensive introduction. If you don't have it, I highly recommend it. An absolute masterpiece. Rav Perla died in 1934 in Jerusalem and outside the world of rabbinic scholarship he is largely forgotten, which is a pity because he truly was one of the greatest scholars of his day. Okay, back to our list of Sifrei HaMitzvahs. The next one is known by the first two words of the poem that is the list, Ata Hinchalta. We don't know exactly who wrote it. Perhaps it was Rav Hazoken. Other people say it was Rabbeinu Shimon HaGodl. Both of them came after Rabbeinu Sadia. The poem is written in an alphabetical acrostic, starting with Aleph and then base, etc. But the order of the listed mitzvahs is very, very unclear. The next list of mitzvahs as a poem is the one that was de definitely composed by Ravilioha Zokein, who was an 11th century French rabbi, the brother-in-law of Rav Chaigon, and a student of Rabbeinu Gershom. His list is referenced by Toisphus many times. Like the Bahag, he categorized mitzvahs into four groups, and not into the two main groups. The 11th century Rav Shlomo Ibn Viral was known as a talented poet and a philosopher and was already a prominent rabbi by the age of 25. There are many popular Shabbos songs attributed to him like Anim Zmiras and Adon Elom. His list of mitzvahs is also done as a poem. He integrated one or several mitzvahs into each stanza his list was the first Sefer Mitzvahs to formally divide the mitzvahs into 248 positive mitzvahs and 365 negative mitzvahs, a method later adopted by the Rambam and which became the mainstream way of doing it. And there's the list of Rav Yitzchok ben Reuven Abargaloni, also of the 11th century. He is best known as the scholar who translated Rav Chaigon's Hamekach Hamemkar from Arabic into Hebrew. Rav Al-Bargaloni list, list is also a poem. The stanzas follow an alphabetical acrostic with each having four lines starting with the same letter and sharing the same rhyme scheme. His structure includes 200 positive mitzvahs, 65 parshiyos, 71 onshim and then 277 negative mitzvahs. The next Sefer mitzvahs on the list is the Sefer Yireim by the French Tosafist Ravelleza Mimetz, who was born in 1140 and died in 1237. His work is not a poem, but it is primarily based on the Bahag's list, although there are a few differences. His Sefer Mitzvahs includes 464 sections that group similar mitzvahs together, offering detailed rulings on each mitzvah. Sefer Yireim is widely quoted in halachic, in halachic works. And now for the main event, the Rambam, of Moshe ben Maimon. His version is definitely the most famous of all the Sifrei HaMitzvahs. That's because the Rambam was one of the most influential Jewish scholars and philosophers of his time and of all time. He was born in Spain and eventually ended up as the chief rabbi of Egypt. He structured and codified all 
the laws mentioned in the Mishnah and Gemara into clear, delineated topics in a 14-volume work called Mishnah Torah or Yada Chazoka. He even codified laws that are relevant to a rebuilt Beis Hamikdash. I just want to mention, if you haven't heard it yet, I did a podcast about the Rambam's life a few years ago. If you have the time, I highly recommend listening to it. You can find it on my website or on SoundCloud. The title of the podcast is The Life and Legacy of Moses Maimonides. The Rambam structured his list of mitzvahs based on 14 shoroshim, or roots, which helped him determine which mitzvahs to include and which ones to leave off his list. And as I said, his list standardized the rule that Torah mitzvahs should be divided into 248 positive mitzvahs and 365 negative mitzvahs. It's important to know that in his introduction to Sefer HaMitzvahs, the Rambam wrote that he was motivated to write his definitive list because he was so disturbed by the disorganized and misleading lists that had previously been composed by his predecessors. He said that those others were full of mistakes and internal contradictions. The Ramban of Moshe ben Nachman, who lived around a century after the Rambam, disagreed. For example, he felt that the Rambam too summarily dismissed some of the Bahag's ideas which had led him to include mitzvahs that the Rambam rejected of his own list, without considering why the Bahag had included them. Ramban's list is implicit, revealed through his commentary on the Rambam's Sefer Mitzvahs. When he disagreed with Rambam, he stated so explicitly, but you have to work out the Ramban's list as it's not written as a definitive list, only as disagreements with the Rambam and as a list of 25 mitzvahs that he says the Rambam mistakenly left off his list. Okay, now let's talk about Sefer Chidoch. We don't know exactly who wrote it, which is unusual for a book authored by a late Rishon, especially a book that is so prominent. Some say that Sefer Chinuch was penned by Rav Aharon Halevi. Others say it was written by his brother, Rav Pinchas Halevi. Both of them were from Barcelona, and both of them were students of the Rashba. Sefer Chinuch is totally unique. It's a totally unique Sefer Mitzvah, as I've already mentioned, because firstly, the list of mitzvahs is written in the order that the mitzvahs appear in the Torah, it is based on Rambam's list, but is rearranged according to the weekly parsha. And another unique feature is the fact that Sefer Chinuch gives the reason, or shoyesh, behind each mitzvah, as well as the details on who is obligated in that mitzvah, when and where. Which is exactly why Sefer Chinuch, which is what he says about the paradigmatic choik mitzvah paraduma, is so interesting, as we're going to see. I'll tell you in a minute. But before I get to that, let me give you the last three lists of mitzvahs that I'm going to mention. The Smug, Sefer Mitzvahs Godel, by Rav Moshe of Kusi in France, who lived in the 13th century. He wrote Smug after being prompted by visions he had in his dreams. Smug delves into each mitzvah, listing all the relevant halachas. His list closely aligns with the Rambam's list, with only 20 deviations. Then there's the Zohar Horakiah, by Rav Shimon ben Tzemach, of the 14th and 15th centuries. Rav Shimon ben Semach was a versatile scholar. Besides for being a rabbi, he was also a philosopher, a mathematician, and a doctor who lived in Algeria.
The Zohar Akia poses as a commentary to Rav Shlomo Ibn Gvirol's Azharas, but it's not really a commentary at all. In fact, he merely uses Rav Shlomo Ibn Gvirol's listing as a springboard to discuss his own listing of the mitzvahs, and he mostly follows the Rambam or Ramban and rejects most of what Rav Shlomo Ibn Gvirol's counts as mitzvahs in his list. Finally, is that there is the Sefer Haredim by Rav Eloza, a Zikri of the 16th century. Rav Azikri was a contemporary of Rav Yosef Karo, the Arizal and Rav Shlomo Al-Kabetz, who all lived in Tzvas. He's known as the author of the Shabbos Zemer Yedid Nefesh. Sefer Haredim only includes mitzvahs that apply in the present day, and it also includes mitzvahs Midivrei Kabbalah and Midivrei Sofrim. A very unique feature in Sefer Haredim is that it divides the mitzvahs into the different body parts that perform the mitzvahs, so one can always know which mitzvahs can be fulfilled with which part of one's body. It's incredibly revealing. And another thing about Sefer Haredim which is interesting is that because it is the last of the Sifriya mitzvahs, Rav Azikri knew about all the opinions of all the Sifriya mitzvahs that came before him, which means he can offer a kind of consensus on most mitzvahs and tell us which mitzvahs listings are unique to one or another of the different rabbinic luminaries. It is worth noting that if you include all the mitzvahs that are subject to disagreements between the various Sifri HaMitzvahs, there's around a thousand Torah-mandated mitzvahs, not 613. Besides for being quite a crazy piece of trivia, it also has halachic ramifications because we always say Sufik Dora In other words, when there is an uncertainty regarding a Torah mandated mitzvah, we rule stringently, not leniently. Perhaps I'll get to that topic in another shear. I, I think it's a fascinating topic. But right now, let me get back to the topic at hand. It's been a very, very long introduction, I know, but I think it was worth it. I began by saying that when we want to know the reason for a mitzvah, the go-to place is Sefer HaChinuch, who gives us the Shorish, the Tamiya mitzvah, the roots and the reasons for the mitzvah, so that we can gain an understanding for that particular mitzvah. But in the case of Zois Chukas HaToyra, the mitzvah of Para Aduma, if you look at Sefer HaChinuch, you'll find something fascinating. He doesn't give a Shorish. And he's not happy about it. This is what Sefer Chinuch says, and I've modified my translation to make it easier to understand. Regarding the commandment of the red calf, the Jewish people are commanded to burn the red calf so that its ashes will be ready for anyone who needs it to be purified from the impurity contracted by contact with the dead. And even though my heart is pushing me to reveal the simple reasons for this commandment, with the excuse that Sefer HaChinuch only exists to teach my son and his young friends about the mitzvahs, when it comes to this particular mitzvah, my hands are weak and I am afraid to open my mouth about it at all, since I have seen that all of our revered rabbis spoke at length regarding the depth of this mitzvah's secret and the superlative greatness of its content, to the point that they even said that the great King Shlomo, Melech Shlomo, who was able, through his great wisdom, to understand all the reasons of the mitzvahs in the Torah, was not able to fathom this one. 
And the Medrash Tanchuma says that God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, to you I will reveal the reason for the Paraduma, but not to others. And there are many other similar statements. That's what Sefer Chinuch says. The point he's making is this. Para Aduma is the ultimate chayk. And even if you can find some rational explanation for it, you've missed the point. Your mind is not able to fathom its breadth and depth. And therefore trying to do that is a total waste of energy. There is a very interesting and relevant Medrash Rabbah on Chukas which underscores this exact point. A certain pagan once asked Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai, these acts that you do, they appear like sorcery. You bring a calf and you burn it and you crush it and you take its ashes and if one of you is impure from contact with a corpse, you sprinkle two or three drops on him and you tell him you're purified. Come on, Rabbi, that's sorcery. Rav Yochan ben Zakkai replied to him by asking him a question. Have you ever had a Ruach Tezosis? In other words, have you ever been possessed? The pagan answered, no, I haven't. Rav Yochan ben Zakkai said to him, but you've seen someone who was possessed, right? What did they do for that guy? The pagan answered, they bring medicinal roots and burn them until they really smoke under him. And then they inundate the guy with water and then he isn't possessed anymore. I can almost see Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai nodding sagely, a mocking look in his eye, as if to say, really, Mr. Pagan? And you're asking me about Para Aduma? Are you listening to yourself? Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai deflected the Pagan by demonstrating to him that the non-Jewish world also uses ridiculous remedies to do stuff, in which case the ashes of the Para Aduma even if the method of their preparation and the idea of using them seem ridiculous, ultimately the method works for the purpose of getting rid of ritual impurity. But the Medrash then continues, and this is fascinating. After the pagan left, Rav Yochan ben Zakkai's student said to him, maybe you managed to deflect this pagan by giving him a clever answer. But the question still remains, doesn't it? What is the Paraduma all about? Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai just laughed at them. Are you kidding me, he said. The corpse does not cause Tummah, and the water of the ashes of the Paraduma does not cause anyone to become Tahir. Don't you get it? God said, this is a chayk, a decree that I have decreed, and you are not permitted to violate my decrees. Zois, chukas, hatoira. That's it. That's the beginning and the end of the whole thing. In other words, he was saying, all the laws of ritual purity and impurity make no sense at all. Anyway, so why get stuck on this one? God wants it this way and we as his faithful servants accept it. The Kedusha Slevi, I believe Yitzchak explains that the paradox of the Paraduma is there to remind us of our inability to understand God. That is the real symbolism of Paraduma. Those who touch the ashes become impure, like those who seek to grasp the essence of the divine, to delve into what or who God is. But those who get sprinkled with the ashes from a distance are purified, like those who accept the fact of the distance that exists between God and the world. It is also in this way that the red calf helps to atone 
for the golden calf, the, the, the golden calf. The Jews, in Moshe's absence, felt the need for a concrete representation of God, one that they could see and touch. An abstract God was just too difficult for them to understand, and therefore they plunged to the depth of spiritual defilement. Paraduma reminds us of our human limitations in relation to God, and of our need to live within these limitations while maintaining our faith. And every mitzvah is really a chayk. That's why it says, Zois chukas ha-toyrah, not Zois chukas ha But the fact is that those words do appear for Paraduma, God's most incomprehensible chayk. And what's so interesting is that the Torah tells us in Sefer Dvarim that the nations of the world will praise the wisdom of the Jewish people for keeping the chukim. It's strange, no? If the chukim are by definition impossible to understand and we only keep them because we consider it a decree from God which one does not have the right to question why are we specifically receiving praise for our wisdom by keeping them it sounds counterintuitive how is following a rule that we do not understand considered the quintessential example of the Jewish people's wisdom strange I'll answer you with a moshla parable there are three patients who require medicine for their life-threatening illness, but they have three different ways of dealing with their doctor. The first one is a fool, the second one is an idiot, and the third one is a wise man. The fool says to the doctor, I refuse to take this medicine until I understand precisely how it was made and how it works. But he's got no medical knowledge and he does not have the education nor the training to understand the science behind the medicine. So he decides not to take it. And guess what? He dies, as I said, a fool. The idiot is happy to take the medicine, but does not bother to inquire whether the person offering the medicine is actually a doctor. He heard people calling the guy a doctor, so he thinks it's okay. But the doctor is a fraud and his medicine is useless, so the idiot dies as well. But the wise man is careful to do his due diligence. He makes certain that this doctor is fully qualified and a good doctor, and only then agrees to take the medicine being offered, even though he doesn't know anything about it. But what he does know is that the doctor has all of the necessary knowledge and he trusts him to do what is best in this medical situation. The same is true with Chukim, and in fact, the same is true with all the mitzvahs. Although they may be incomprehensible, once we have made sure that God is all-knowing and omnipotent, we can know with absolute certainty that he understands everything down to the minutest detail. So we keep the mitzvahs. That is true wisdom. Following God's word is true wisdom, and therefore it is entirely appropriate that the Jewish people receive praise for their wisdom, for the chukim, for keeping them, because our decision to observe the chukim is not based on the chuk itself, but on the one who commands us to observe it. Well, that concludes our shir for today. To those of you listening on SoundCloud, thank you so much. To those of you watching on YouTube, thank you for watching. Thank you, thank you.